So I was, it was early in ministry, and I had just left a pastoral position and was looking for another one, and there was a church, a little church plant in the University of Iowa, and they had just lost their pastor, and so I was doing the interview thing. They had a search committee, and, and so I met with them, and they were you know asking all the, the search questions, like, list three strengths that you have and list three weaknesses that you have. Does anyone really list the three weaknesses when you, you know, I mean, you're in an interview. But there was one question that was unique that I still remember. There was a guy, he was somewhat tentative. He was unsure about this question, and this question was this. What, what would you say is the true gospel, the the, the real gospel, like what would you, if someone asked you, how would you summarize the gospel of Christ? I think he was tentative because obviously as leaders in the Christian church, you, we should like be able to know and articulate what the real gospel is. But immediately I understood why he was asking because there is a, a broad range of how people would articulate the gospel of Jesus Christ, right? Um, and sometimes they articulate them in ways that is refreshing and renewing, and I learn and grow. But there's sometimes when they articulate the gospel in such a way that I would say they're off the mark. In fact, the apostle Paul would go as far to say in two different times in his letters, he would refer to leaders sharing a different gospel. That it's, it's so different, it's not actually the gospel of Jesus Christ. For example, in 2 Corinthians, we hear him writing about some of those leaders. I think we have the verse there, 2 Corinthians 11.4. He says this, For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached... Or if you receive a different spirit from the spirit, Holy Spirit, you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. He was not complimenting the, the Christians for their tolerance. He's saying, no, 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 no. You need to be listening and aware. If it is a different Jesus, if it's a different spirit, if it's a different gospel, you need to be mindful of that, that there's leaders out there who would communicate something different. I was thinking about some of the different gospels that I would hear that are not really reflective of the true gospel. One is the gospel, I call it the belief-only gospel that people would say, well, yeah, I'm a Christian. I, I believe in Christ. And yet their actual lives, how they're living, reflects the gospel, not at all. They do what they want. They live how they want. Oh, oh I believe in God. But really, to look at their lives, it, it doesn't reflect that. I was thinking of another different gospel. I would call it the political gospel. This political gospel can be a, a blue lens or a red lens, right? It doesn't matter. But we, we understand the gospel of Jesus Christ through a political lens rather than what we're called to do 
is understand all things, including politics, through the lens of the true gospel. You know some of those folks? Yes? One of the fascinating things in the book of Acts is there's time and time again, there's different chapters as we walk through. If you're reading along, you'll notice that the inspired author of Acts, Dr. Luke, he is sharing the presentation of the gospel, the teaching, oftentimes Peter, and then we'll move as we get to the end or uh, the, the second half of the book of Acts, you'll see Paul, whether they're talking to Jews, whether they're talking to Gentiles, philosophers, right? Or they're meeting a, a, a woman in a prayer group that they present the gospel of Jesus Christ and, and they're shaping it to address the people where they're at and yet there is this true gospel and I think it's of great value for you and for me to pay attention to how they share the words of the gospel, how they present because it's that true gospel that you and I are called to live and to share with the world. In Acts 3 is where we're going to be this morning. If you've brought your Bibles, please turn there at home, turn to Acts 3. And I'm not going to read the whole chapter. In chapter 2, last week we looked at Pentecost. And that was the first presentation of the gospel. We saw Peter explaining not only um, Jesus Christ as died on the cross, resurrected, ascended into heaven, but also the empowering presence of the Spirit. Now, in Acts 3, they are walking to um, the temple. They're still in Jerusalem. The, the temple that Herod built that was uh, in existence in Jesus' time was there. We have a picture. I just wanted to give you an idea of where this took place. It was this large temple. Jack, if you can put the camera, I don't know if you can get the camera on there because I don't think we have it on live stream. But this temple was massive. And the Jews, as well as the early church, the Christians were still coming to the temple at this time. And on the back, you can see kind of a row of columns. And then go to the next picture, Irene. There was this place called uh, Solomon's Colonnade, which is kind of, you see that long, all those columns there. It was also referred to as Solomon's Porch. And I would assume different groups met at different, because it was a huge, long colonnade. But it was the early church that was gathering at Solomon's Porch, Solomon's Colonnade. And so Peter and, and John are on their way to the temple for a time of prayer and and worship, they see a beggar, he asks for money, and they say, we don't have any money, but what we do have we'll give you, and they heal him. And this beggar was known by the people. He'd always beg, apparently, at the same gate. And so all of a sudden, this man is healed, and he's jumping around in excitement, and he's holding on to, to the apostles, like, woo! And they get to Solomon's porch, and then people recognize that this guy who's used to, they're used to begging at, at, at the beautiful gate, they come, and they're like, what is going on? Peter takes this important moment, and he shares the gospel for the second time. Let's read what he says. We're starting at Acts 3, verse 11. While the man who was healed 
held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant, Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate though he had decided to let him go. So there were actual Jews in this moment that were a part of demanding the crucifixion of Christ. Remember when they said, crucify him, crucify him. There were some in the audience. Peter pulls no punches and says it directly to them. Um, Verse 14. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance, says Peter, as did your leaders. But this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Verse 19, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out that times of refreshing may come from the Lord and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes from God to restore all things, to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me, from among your own people. You must listen to everything he says. Talking about Jesus, of course. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who had spoken have foretold these days And you you are heirs of the prophets and the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. Okay, right then, the religious leaders, specifically, specifically the Sanhedrin, will come and they are not excited and pleased that they are proclaiming Jesus' resurrection. Well, they don't believe in resurrection. They certainly don't want it proclaimed in Jesus' name. They have them arrested and imprisoned overnight, okay? Despite that, uh, you have thousands that believe and receive Christ. I want you to notice a couple of things about their presentation of the gospel. One is, Jesus didn't drop out of the sky. 
they quote all the main prophets and they say, no, 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 this is from ancient of days. This is from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. People of God, they're speaking to Jews and they say, we want you to know that Jesus is a fulfillment of all the promises and the covenant of God that has been coming. He roots Jesus in the people of God. The second thing he does is he identify, He talks about the identity of Christ in a powerful way, which any true presentation of the gospel focuses in on the person of Jesus. Did you notice these powerful titles that he uses to address Jesus? First, he says, you disowned the holy and righteous one. Remember, he's speaking to Jews And the Jews believed that there was only one that was holy and righteous. You know who that was? God alone. Yep. No one else. No one else is good. He's identifying that Jesus, the Messiah, whom they rejected, is God, both then and now and forevermore. In a second powerful title, he says this. Really, the... the, It drips with irony. He says, you killed the author of life. Both titles were were pressing into the identity of Jesus. They were saying, he is God. He's the one who created and sustained all of life. Heavens and the stars, the moon, the sky. The oceans, you, he's your author of life. And by our sin, we killed the author of life. Now, what I'd like to do this morning is I'd like to focus on the response to the gospel that Peter was inviting them to. He's explaining Jesus, his identity, his death on the cross. And I want you to see and think about this for a moment. What was Peter wanting? How was Peter wanting the people to respond to this presentation of the gospel? What was he expecting? What was he offering that if you say yes to God, then he was anticipating your life will change in crucial and important ways. There's no Christian, I believe in God, but my life doesn't reflect God. No, that wasn't an option. He was saying, if you say yes to God, then your life will be transformed in key ways. And I want to focus on three words in that invitation. Three words, they, they have, this is not a pastor's trick. In the text, they happen to be all begin with the letter R, okay? Let's see, before you look at your bulletin, if you haven't looked yet, yet outlined, there's three R words in his invitation that I'd like us to focus in on. What's the first R word that you would guess? What's that? Repentance, yes, repent, exactly, Um, He says, look at verse 19, chapter 3, verse 19. Repent. He's inviting this invitation. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be 
wiped out. Your sins may be removed. Peter is inviting, and I want to suggest that he's not inviting us to a one-time experience of repentance. I want to suggest that he was inviting us to a way of life, a walk, a life of repentance, that if we have said yes to God, we are saying that we will live a life in part that recognizes the power of sin in our lives. There's an eternal power of sin that if we don't receive the forgiveness of Christ, we will be separated for him. We will be forever separated from him in hell. That's the eternal significance of sin. But there is also this idea of a day-to-day power of sin that whenever we sin, there is a, there's a pollution, a, a potency. There is an, a bondage of sin that can still entangle our lives today. That if we don't recognize that power, if we don't deal with it in a day-to-day basis, that it can take us down in this life today. Sin pollutes. I believe that, that Peter was inviting us to a life of confession, a life of walking and being able to be honest and real with our sin, with God and with one another. The world likes to hide our sin, right? That's what the world does, right? And, and I would say, honestly, many of us Christians still hide. We don't want people to know that about us. And I would say, no, 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 that's gonna lead to two-faced living. That's gonna lead to hypocrisy. That's gonna lead uh, to living inauthentically today. What's beautiful, a beautiful part of the gospel is we can be absolutely real and honest and authentic before God with our sin. And we know that he will grant forgiveness and remove our sin as far as the east is from the west. I know confession is not this riveting topic. I'm not going to do three weeks of sermons on it. It's not growing in popularity at all. In fact, even in the Catholic Church, it's diminishing the practice. And I think that's a shame. I think real gospel living is living authentically, acknowledging the power of our sin. Because when we acknowledge the power of our sin, we begin to understand more and more what it was to have Christ receive our sin on himself on the cross. When we really look at our sin square in the face, we realize the, great, the immensity of the grace of God available to us. There was a, a study done, a recent study in the U.S. and Israel. It was titled, I Cheated, But Only a Little. 
And this study, they did a series of questions of over 4,000 people. And the researchers found an interesting thing. The people who only partially confessed their transgressions felt worse than those who do not confess at all. And in fact, the study's lead author said this, people seeking redemption by uh, partially admitting their big lies feel guiltier because they do not take complete responsibility for their behaviors. The Harvard Business Review was commenting on the study and they said this, confession is a powerful way to relieve guilt, but it works only if you tell the whole truth. Friends, I want to suggest that confession is this powerful tool, potential tool in our lives, but we have to take our sin seriously and receive God's forgiveness completely. I call it this, a life of thankful confession. Proverbs 28, 13, whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. I think that's so interesting that the proverb connects confession with one who prospers. Prosperity. He's saying, if you want to live a life that honors God, if you want to live that good life, there's a powerful tool that so many neglect. It's confession. My, my family makes fun of me sometimes because, on, well, a lot of the time, on Sirius FM, I, I like to listen to uh, the Catholic guy on the Catholic channel because he's hilarious. He's, he's like super funny. And I learn some stuff sometimes. And he said this about confession. He said, you know, confession is one of the best things we've got going in the church. <laughs> we can be real and honest and receive God's forgiveness. We should be doing it more. I was like, yeah, that's, why am I trying to hide my sin, especially before God, especially being real and asking, Lord, where have I transgressed? Where do I need to ask forgiveness? I'm trying to do that daily with the Lord, every day, saying, Lord, whatever is within me that is not of you, I, I want to lay it before you and receive your forgiveness today. I think there's also power in confessing to one another. In fact, James says specifically, confess your sins to one another. I think we often don't do that because we're, we get fearful of judgment, don't we? Right? So we have to be faithful to represent God's grace and love when others confess. I was talking with one of my kids, my son, and I, was, I shared with him a struggle that I have. And then he was be able to, to share that and talk about that and connect with that. And it was a, a good, godly moment of confession. I think you and I should live lives of thankful confession, not of judgment, not of hypocrisy, but of the grace of God, authentic, real, honest 
inviting him and others to the inside. Okay, that was repentance, a life and walk of repentance. There's a second word, it's harder to catch. Perhaps you've looked at your your bulletin outline by now. What is that second R word? What is that? Refresh, yes, refresh. There's this phrase that is so beautiful. It's the second part of verse 19. Now remember, this is the second time that Peter, we hear, is sharing the gospel. He says, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. Many of us have heard that word repent and understand that as part of the presentation of the gospel. This second word, I'd have to say, I don't ever remember in the early times of hearing a presentation of the gospel, I never remember this phrase being included in that presentation. That times of refreshing may come from the Lord. My question is why would Peter share that phrase in the gospel presentation. I get repentance. We get repentance, right? Death on the cross, right? All that. Why? That, that, that beautiful, where is that phrase from? Times of refreshing. Have you heard that in a gospel presentation before? I began to wonder and do a little study and something that really helped me understand why he would use this phrase is when I looked at the original Greek, and there's a, a word in there, it's prosopon, prosopon. It's a Greek word, and unfortunately, the NIV chooses not to translate the word in the, phrase, in, in the sentence, which is odd. That, that Greek word prosopon means face, countenance, or presence face, countenance, or presence. And so other translations, like the New King James Version, I think are better translations of this sentence, this verse 19, translates this, Repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord that times of refreshing may come from uh, the presence of the Lord. Now think back in Acts, Acts 2, they just experienced Pentecost. We just talked about the, the empowering presence of God, that part of the presentation was, this is for you. You can be filled with the Holy Spirit as we were filled. You can experience the manifest presence of the Spirit of God in your life, in this moment. This is for you and for your children and all who are far off. Acts chapter 3, Peter says, repent and receive the forgiveness of sins In times of refreshing, the presence of the Spirit of God, the presence of the Spirit of Christ will refresh your life. This brings us back to the idea of filling. Remember last week, for those of you who are here, the sponge idea 
Paul saying, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. In the moment, he's not talking about the future of eternity. He's inviting us to a gospel life today in the presence. Listen to this promise from an Old Testament prophet, when you acknowledge God, when you, when you live a life in response to God, Hosea says this, let us acknowledge the Lord, let us press on to acknowledge, which means recognize, to be mindful of the Lord, to walk with the Lord, walk with him, as surely as the sun rises. How confident were you this morning that the sun was gonna rise? fairly confident that the sun, I mean, a high percentage, you, you felt good about the chances of the sun, yes? Yes, okay. As surely as the sun rises, he, God, will appear. He will come to us like the winter rains, like the spring rains that water the earth. This is a promise for for those, you and I, who acknowledge the Lord, his presence will come like the spring rains that are thirsty and hungry and will fill your life. I want to ask you a question. If you think, if I were to ask you one word to describe your daily life, what would be that one word? Not when you're on vacation, not even on a weekend day, but let's give an average day, like a Tuesday. <laughs> at work or at school. And if I were watching in on your life, that sounds a little creepy, but if I were watching your life, what would be the one word that I would notice? What would be the, the tenor of your life? I'm going to say that there's a variety of options. One, because of this pandemic, some could say fear or anxiety, right? Like, this is a fearful time, and, and we're living day to day. Maybe we have someone that's been affected by the pandemic. There's a fear or anxiety there that we're living with day in and day out. If we looked at your life, there some of us, this pandemic stuff, it's not really touched us and we're bored because we can't go to work or school. Would, some, would you say the, the, the word for your life is, is boredom? Or how about distracted? Are you binge watching so many Netflix shows that someone would say distracted, right? Would any of you say and use the word Refresh. Refreshment. There, there, there's, a, there's a newness to your life. That I would argue that this is perhaps the greatest way of evangelism that we have. That when we live our day-to-day -day lives in the newness and the refreshment of God, 
regardless of circumstance, regardless of whether it's a Tuesday or a Thursday or a Sunday, regardless of whether we're at a job that we love or hate, regardless when we live life as in times of refreshing of the Lord, what a testimony. Then our, then our neighbors, our, our co-workers, our extended family can go, what the, there is some, regardless of circumstance, there's something about that life that is so invitational to us. Boy, I want my life to reflect that beautiful phrase, times of refreshing. If Peter was offering it in his presentation of the gospel, I want to say yes and live my life according to that refreshment. Okay, third and final R word. What is it? It's a kingdom word. It's in that presentation. What is it? Restoration, to restore. Look at verses 20 and 21. He says, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you. So he's talking about the second coming of Christ. Even Jesus, heaven must receive him until the time comes, right? So heaven, Jesus has ascended into heaven right now in this moment, in this time of history, he sits at the right hand of the Father. But there is a moment in our future where Jesus will get up and he will come and he will judge the living and the dead. But he won't just judge all of our lives, but he will restore all things. I don't know about you, but I never heard that part of the gospel, the fullness of the gospel. What Peter is giving is the the long view, the broad view that Jesus came to heal and restore and refresh lives today, but there is a moment in the future history that he will return. And then he will, he won't destroy the earth. You know what he will do? He will restore every aspect of this world. It will be in new Eden. And then we won't need a son any longer. You know why? Because God will live on this earth with us in the renewed earth. Read about it at the end of Revelation. Right, He re- restores all things and we live in the new Eden. He presents that early and he invites us to say yes to that aspect of the gospel. Now, even though he's talking about a future event, I believe that has significance for us today and how we live. And it's this idea that we've been given this ministry of restoration, that he's inviting us to live today in part what will happen in fullness when he returns. I, I hope this is helpful for you. I don't know if it is, but I was, I was reading about some... Um, what's considered one of the wonders of the world, not the seven greatest wonders we haven't, but it's um, a wonder of Sri Lanka called Sigiriya. And it is actually a complex rock fortress. It was a palace built 
centuries ago by a king. And now it's a huge tourist attraction. If anyone goes to Sri Lanka, oftentimes they want to go there because it's this palace uh, within these rocks. You can see uh, walking up there, and within it are what's called these frescoes. There's like these huge canvas, but it's in the rock, and they're painting these beautiful paintings that people walk to uh, here to see. A number of years ago, they don't, still don't know who it was uh, in the 20th century. They still don't know who did it. They threw paint, um, and they vandalized these huge, beautiful frescoes. And it was considered a national tragedy. But thankfully, they were able, they weren't vandalized to such a degree that they were able to bring in experts and restore, see where I'm going? And restore the frescoes. The world is like that castle in stone. I want to suggest that you are like the frescoes. You've been made in the image of God. And yet our sin vandalizes the beauty of God, our lives and creation. And he's looking for experts who will come and restore the frescoes. Do you know who his intended experts are? Look at your neighbor and say, you're supposed to be the expert. You're supposed to be living this ministry. Paul says this in a number of different ways. I really like how he says it in 2 Corinthians 5, 18. He's talking about the ministry that you've been given. He says, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He's saying it's not enough that you've been redeemed, that you've asked for forgiveness, that you've been given new life, that you have the promise of eternal life. That's all good, but you've received that ministry from the Lord. Now it's your turn. You have a ministry of reconciliation, reconciling everyone and all of creation to God. You are to join him in the restoration of of all things, whatever that looks like. Maybe that is preaching and teaching. Maybe that's serving as part of worship arts. Maybe that's serving the poor on a weekly basis, providing meals. Maybe that's a mission trip. Maybe that's children's ministries. Maybe you fill in the blank. That's all part of doing God's work. That's this ministry of reconciliation and restoration. I like also how Paul, what he says to Timothy about Timothy's ministry. I think we can apply it to ourselves. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. What he's saying What I really like about this is I'm pretty sure that Timothy was not gifted at evangelism. He was very timid. And Paul's saying, do it anyways. It's part of our work. It's part of the gospel. It's part of the message. Do the work. Share your life. Share the faith. 
But then he also says, in the ways that you are gifted, do that ministry. God's given you those gifts for a reason. He doesn't want you to hide those gifts. He wants to use those. Friends, if you are a Christian, you have been given a ministry. Do it. Live it. Remember, remember Acts 1? We were either on mission or off mission. Live the mission of restoration. All right. Now we get to the part of the service that I have no control over because it's just between you and Jesus, right? If, if the worship team would like to come forward and I'd like us to pray and I'm just going to give you a little bit of space, just you and the Lord. If you don't know Christ and you're here or you're watching, you can just listen See what happens when you just listen for his voice. But for those of us who do know Christ, God is speaking and convicting in this moment. Would you ask him to apply these words personally? Of the three words that we've talked about, What's the word he has for you personally today? Would it be repent? We realize that our lives have looked more like the world rather than his church. When we've hidden our sin, at least tried from God and from others. He's calling you to live in thankful repentance. Or maybe the word is refresh. That phrase, times of refreshing in the presence of the Lord. That, that word that you chose for your Tuesday, it was not refreshing, it was something else. And he's inviting you to, to live differently. To live in his manifest presence and countenance. Or maybe the word is restore. And, and maybe you know the gifts that you have, but you haven't been joining him in his work in this world at all. It, it's been really, maybe some of us are just waiting for this pandemic to get through. Maybe we're just treading water rather than really living for him and his ministry today. Maybe that's the word for you and he's inviting you to change your life in response to the gospel. Just spend some time talking with him about your word.